Well, so glad that you have found your way to TCC this morning. And uh, on a beautiful morning. Anybody walk to church this morning? Oh, look at that. A few people. Awesome. Um, And this is Mother's Day. This is Mother's Day. And uh, moms, seriously, we honor you. Uh, we, We love you. We bless you uh, today. As I was following some commentary online this week, uh, I, I noticed one pastor was asking another pastor, uh, have you pulled together the sermon for this Sunday? And uh, most of them, all of them responded, no, I haven't even started. It's Wednesday yet. Don't know what to speak on. <laughs> That's great, funny. Uh, because they said, it's so hard. What is so hard on Mother's Day? It is hard. It's the hardest day of the year to know what to say. Because Mother's Day is very emotional. Let's be honest. It's hard because maybe you just lost your mom. Uh, And the freshness of that grief is in your heart. Maybe you lost your mom some years ago, but... But there were some issues that were outstanding. And when she died, for you and her. Uh, maybe your mom is alive, and, but there is, things are not great between mother and daughter, between mom and son. And maybe, maybe the pain is not having your own son, your own daughter, and ah, it just hurts. So it's a hard day, but at the same time, moms, we want to tell you our hearts, that we're thankful for you, that we're thankful for you, that you teach us so much about how to live and how to care and how to pray. And so we really do love you and we really do honor you today. And I want to talk about a mom this morning, but I don't want to just really speak about hurt real directly, but more the situation around her life. Our, our theme is getting unstuck from the losses that come to us through our experience of living in this world. Just by doing life in this world, there are losses. You, you know, you can't make it through life without some losses. I'd like to see the graph that there every, every day there's a gain, Every week there's a gain. Every, every month there's another gain every year. And wouldn't it be nice to have a lifetime of watching that graph just grow and no losses? But the reality is that we're all closer to the Oilers than we are to the Ducks or to the Blackhawks. And we understand our losses perhaps better than we do our gains. So just follow with me as we talk about being stuck. And I'm going to have, a, have us put a thumb or a finger over in the book of Ruth this morning, the passage that, that Leanne read. But we'll just kind of see this whole book as our passage this morning, the whole book of Ruth, because it's very short. It's kind of a hard book to find in the Old Testament. It's the eighth book into the Old Testament, if that helps. So closer to the front and right after the book of Judges. And now you're getting closer. And if you can't find that, you just go to your iPhone and you punch in Ruth. And you hope you get the right Ruth that comes up. 
So these were the best and worst of times for a young couple that were introduced in in the early verses of chapter 1. Wedding bells were ringing. The couple was married. Naomi and Elimelech. Elimelech. When I read that again this week, I thought, Elimelech. That name sounds so familiar, but where do I know that from? And it's an old song, you know? But it wasn't quite Elimelech. It was Wimoweh. 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 In the jungle, the mighty jungle, the lion sleeps tonight? I thought maybe you wouldn't know that song, that maybe it was too old for you, and you had said, we don't know that. But you do know it. Wimoweh. Well, Elimelech and his bride Naomi, wedding bells were ringing. Brand new start in life. And they had one another, and they had God, and they were excited about walking together for the rest of their lives, and life was great. And then this couple was blessed with two sons. And then the first of a long line of hard-hitting stuff began to speed their way. They could have never imagined the arsenal of missiles that would land in their backyard. And I've watched through the years, I've watched this, and some families seem to have to walk through more stuff, more pain than anyone else around them. And I don't understand it. Uh, There are some families that just seem to get hammered. And there is no logical explanation as to why it just happens. So first of all, there was the loss of employment. Famine comes to visit them. There's no food. There's no work. There's no income. There's no way to provide for their boys. So they have to leave for a neighboring country called Moab. And in their new country, more tragedy awaits. The husband and the father dies. Suddenly, in the prime of life, he's gone. Their protector, their provider, the one they look to, it's, it is suddenly gone. And, and loss sets in and loneliness sets in. One pastor uh, recalled a lady coming after the service and talking up front and saying, you know, I, t- I, I try not to dwell on the loneliness of my marriage, but the truth is, I'm lonely. My husband and I are both Christians. He's a good man who works hard and provides for me, but all that keeps him, uh, but, but all that hard work keeps him from meeting my emotional needs. And she said, we're like two ships who pass by each other in the bathroom. I, I don't want to nag. I simply try not to think about the hurt and the emptiness, but in the end, I'm still lonely. See, there can be loss without physical separation. There's a loss of intimacy. And then there's loss when there's real, real tragedy that comes our way. Gerald Sitter is a professor at Whitworth College in Spokane, Washington. About 10, 12 years ago, his minivan was struck by a drunk driver. And in a moment's time, he lost three generations. In the car with him was his mom, his wife, and his small daughter. And they were all killed. And he later wrote a book called A Grace Disguised. And in it, he tells of his loss and experience of grief. And he describes the initial experience of living with the loss in a very poignant way. He writes, 
He said, I felt like I was staring at the stump of a huge tree that had just been cut down in my backyard. That stump, which sat all alone, kept reminding me of the beloved tree that I'd lost. I could think of nothing but that tree. Every time I looked out the window, all I could see was that stump. And Elimelech dies, leaving his wife Naomi a single mother in a foreign land. Now, can you imagine her distress? This mom's going through such a tough time. And her, her boys, we aren't told uh, their ages at the time of their dad's death. And how long did she have to wait until they were big enough to become the men in the house and start looking after their mom? It may be that mom had to take care of their boys uh, for a few years and, and, and eke out a living. You know how hard that must be to actually have to care for this young family and yet, yet be, the, be the breadwinner as well, take care of everybody. Uh, and I know some of you get that. You get that real clearly. Not unlike uh, some of you, nobody knows the pain you go through. Nobody can understand that. And, and only Jesus. And he comes to stand with you. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we hosted the Alberta Baptist Association and uh, saw a dear friend who is here, and she, uh, she lost her husband um, on Christmas Day many years ago. And she had four boys, a wonderful, a wonderful lady, but now challenged with the ability to keep food on the table and guidance for four teenagers, four teenage boys, all grieving themselves and, and trying to find their way. And in a moment when we could really talk, she, she would open her heart and she would say humbly and reverently, Jesus has become my husband and my father. He's become my husband and my father. He's the one I go to when I feel so all alone and I don't know where to go next. And she watched those boys grow up and marry, and those boys have all done well. But she could never have predicted the way that things would turn out for her. But she walked with God all through those years. And, you know, as you look back, you understand in her life that she didn't just make it. Actually, she thrived. She thrived. We don't know how much time passed, but eventually her two sons took for themselves Moabite wives. Ruth, which is the name of the book, and then Orpah. But then as if one tragedy were not enough, Naomi's two sons died. What a huge loss. The loss of her two sons. And I can't imagine the devastation of losing just one child, but nevertheless two. Besides the deep emotional toll this must have taken on her, there was a practical side to this as well. Naomi was now totally without someone to help her provide. There was no unemployment program. There was no life insurance policy. They didn't have any mutual funds to cash in. There was no benefit package of any sort that she could kind of fall back on. I know that many of us are shaped by the experiences that God, God gives to us. And in the day in which we live, and we're able to travel to many different countries of the world, and it's really quite amazing that we get to go into countries that are very, very poor. 
Some, uh, some here in our Metal Art Christian School uh, returned from Belize taking 20, 25 uh, students and parents, and they've seen the dire conditions that some people and some families face. You know, and, and I just am so grateful. That this, is a, this is a forever impact moment for these kids to be able to experience what it is to go through very tough times and to see families uh, that are going through the hardest of times. And we travel to El Salvador uh, once a year with a, a team to support Compassion Canada and an organization called Enlice that's working all over the country to help families and communities face the poverty of their lives. And uh, what a blessing just to, just to be a part of helping these kids along. And that, I think we sponsor 80, 80 kids or so with Compassion Canada as a church. One of our children's directors, Kara Markeen, is in so South Ethiopia today. And uh, she's experiencing the great need of the nation of Ethiopia in not having clean water. And she will see things this past week and in this coming week that, that will always remain in her heart and her mind. She'll never be the same because of what she's seen. And we're watching pictures of Nepal following the earthquake. And I want to just say thank you for giving $4,000 last Sunday through the benevolent offering that, that, that has already gone been through Samaritan's Purse to help help this country in uh, need of uh, people in need of food and shelter and clothing and medicine and so on. Thank God for organizations, eh, that are on the ground that are able to move help and supplies and ministry to people in need. And you know that the losses that people are, feel, are feeling when they reach to the great heights of, of risking their lives, thousands of people clamoring onto rickety boats to get from Liberia to Europe and many perish on the Mediterranean Sea. People often feel so desperate, like we can't go on in this world any longer. We must escape even if we have to pay an awful price of death, or, uh, of death for maybe a, my wife or maybe my children or maybe myself, but they must try. There are losses all over our world that are staggering, that are overwhelming. And Naomi must be overwhelmed feeling so responsible for her daughters-in-law, carrying the loss of her husband and her boys. And I'm sure that many days all she could see was the stump in the backyard. And she could just see all of her losses. And suddenly purpose and hope faded from her life and she didn't know what to do. And her connection to these girls through her boys, you know, that's all she had. And, and, and now what would happen? But I, what I want to really underscore today is this. Life is not over when tough things come our way. Life is not over when tough things come our way. We get knocked on our back. We feel absolutely devastated. But God is there in our loss. And His heart is to have us rise to our feet again in due time and move toward healing and meaning and renewed purpose. I just want to say it again to you. It's not over. It's not over. The story of Naomi and Ruth adds support to this. So at first I want you to notice verses 6 and 7 of this first chapter. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. 
With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. So secondly, unstuck. Uh, You saw the words in the text. She set out on the road that would take them back. So first of all, beginning the road back. After a season of difficult going, a season of loss, there's a need to find a road that will take us back to a place of security, back to a place of meaning, back to a place of new beginnings. I mean, and who can foresee the future? What will life look like for us in 10 years? We were talking about that the other day. You know, here's a season of life, and and sometimes we look at it in terms of a decade. What's the next decade hold for me? And none of us can predict that. For some, maybe not much change. Gray hair, too, begins to dart in there. But basically, pretty simple. Life just goes on. But for others, significant change. And yet we sit here together this morning quite unaware of the path that our lives will take. And regardless of, uh, of whether we are people of faith or not, the future is uncertain. And for some, it's just like Naomi. We get hit with one thing, and just when we think we're getting our heads above water and uh, we're going to survive, something else sneaks up behind us and trips us. So let me ask you this morning, and some will internalize this question more than others because of your context. How do you deal with your loss? How do you deal with your loss? What kind of choices do you have to make in order to survive and even thrive through something like this? Is there any one answer? Uh, No. Are there some common themes? I think probably yes. We all have choices to make. Will I take the high road or will I take the low road? Will I walk with God through all of this Or will I become bitter? Will I shove others away? Or will I welcome people into my life? You see Naomi's choice? She heard that the Lord had visited his people back home and was giving them food. The economy back home had picked up. How timely. She was alone in a foreign land. But things had significantly improved back home. And that's the reason they came to Moab, remember, to find work, to have an income. Not too unlike many who come to our province uh, because uh, in their home geography, things may be tough at the moment. But Alberta provides, offers employment. But often our hearts are at home. And so we notice that even here when things pick up back home, wherever that might be, that people often go back home uh, given the right conditions. And that's just a natural way to think. Naomi made a decision. She was going home. Have you ever noticed that sometimes in the midst of loss and grief and hopelessness, the hardest thing to do is anything at all that might be a step in the direction of starting over? I mean, that's the paralyzing impact of grief. Grief can be paralyzing. Grief can be paralyzing. It simply devours our desire to start again and to dream and to move forward. 
We sometimes just don't have the heart to do anything. Hard to, hard to get up in the morning. Hard to cook. Hard to keep the house. Hard to socialize. Yeah, hard to go to church. Hard to go to work. Hard to face people. Anyone resonate with that? You'd like to pull the covers up over your head? Sleep the rest of your life away? That's grief. That's loss. And aren't those great words? She left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. And it doesn't matter who we are, even Billy Graham when he lost his wife, Ruth. Uh, you, you suffer when you experience loss. It's, it's not the same. Life is different. Naomi made a choice, and a very important choice. She decided against pulling the covers over her head. She decided to live. She decided to receive from God the things that he had for her. She decided to take the road back to her home. It was a logical choice. There was food there, so it was a logical choice. There were friends back home. There were family members back home. She made a decision. There are many roads to take when we suffer pain and loss and grief. How do we find that road? And you know, and God specializes in showing us the road and leading us back to a place where we belong. He hears our cry. Lord, I'm lost. Lord, I don't know where to go. Lord, I don't know where to turn. What do I do with the rest of my life? Look for the road that God is showing you. It may be very logical, such as with Naomi. The crops are good back home. I'll go there. It may be a place to give yourself with renewed passion in your heart and with your gifts and with your talents and with your ability. It may be, it may be a renewed heart to, to use what God has given you. It may be that you're now able to serve in some areas that that you had not been able to before, and suddenly God allows you to move in that direction, and it's terrifically fulfilling and encouraging. The choice, the road back, might be a decision to see a Christian counselor. It might be a decision to really get connected to a home group where we can share some of our pain and that collects in our hearts. It might be a decision to go out and get a job and get reactivated, reconnected, take our mind off some of the things that we think about all the time, and get engaged. Who knows what the road back will look like? It will not be easy, but it will be a choice to see that here's a first step in dealing with the tough place that you're in. The second thing that's helpful when we go through tough things is our loyalty to one another. Our loyalty to one another. The text is fairly dramatic in that Naomi says to her daughters-in-law that they should stay in Moab and return to their own people. She said, go back to your mother's home. And she kissed them goodbye, but they were not having any of this. They said, no, we will go with you and we will join your people in your homeland. Now, isn't that amazing that they're willing to go to her homeland? At which point, Naomi is fairly blunt. 
but definitely convincing. Verse 11, but Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who would become your husbands? I don't think so. Not much chance of that. Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there, there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you, re, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for you, for me, than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, she, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah <clears throat> kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Those are beautiful words from Scripture. And they often, as you know, appear as wedding vows. But really, they represent the loyalty between a mother and a daughter-in-law. Between a mother and a daughter-in-law. Ruth got it. She loved Naomi. And she loved Naomi's God. And even though Naomi is struggling with her understanding of God... There's obviously sufficient authenticity in Naomi's life to be able to say, I want to travel with this lady for the rest of my life. And I want to, I want to travel with her God the rest of my life. You see, it wasn't only Naomi that had suffered pain. It was also Ruth. Ruth and her husband had been married for 10 years and without bearing a child. And even though that was true in her life, she expresses unusual faith and loyalty. And, and this, the part of this passage that is a tremendous challenge to me and to all of us, the body of Christ, is to be supportive and encouraging to one another. Ruth is such a model of loyalty to her mom-in-law. What an example. What an example. She made a choice to look out for the interests of Naomi. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we, ha we have to make a choice to cling to one another as Ruth clings to Naomi. Our tendency is to isolate ourselves. I, I, I think that's what grief does. We just kind of isolate ourselves. We just kind of pull away. But our better choice is to extend ourselves. And for those of us who are right alongside of our friend, our family member, in their loss... You will never, never really know how much your support means. You will never really get that. You will never know how much it, it means that you took some of the heat, that you took some of the anger, that you didn't try to rebut everything that was said, that you just listened and cared ministered and encouraged and over time you saw the light come back into their eyes. I read a little story this week and I, I wasn't quite prepared for the ending and the story goes that Roger Zerbe suffered from early onset of Alzheimer's disease 
And his wife, Becky, particularly remembers a journal entry that he left for her after a troubling uh, bout of forgetfulness. And uh, she said, I picked up the journal on my pillow and read uh, from him, Honey, today fear is taking over. The day is coming when all my memories of this life we share will be gone. In fact, you and the boys will be gone from me. I will lose you even as I am surrounded by you and your love. I don't want to leave you. I want to grow old in the warmth of memories. Forgive me for leaving so slowly and painfully. And blinking back tears, I picked up my pen and wrote, My sweet husband, what will happen when we get to the point where you, you no longer know me? I will continue to go on loving you and caring for you, not because you know me or remember our life, but because I, I put in my notes, be tough here. Uh, remember you. I will remember the man who proposed to me and told me he loved me, the look on his face when his children were born, the father he was, the way he loved our extended family. I'll recall his love for riding and hiking and, and reading, his tears at sentimental movies, and how he held my hand while he prayed. I'll cherish the pleasure, obligation, commitment, and opportunity to care for you because I remember you. What loyalty. I, last week, I talked to a gentleman whose wife is, uh, uh, has severe dementia, um, probably well into Alzheimer's, and, and uh, with tears in his eyes, and he, he just said, I hope she goes first because I have no one to help care for her. And I thought, what loyalty. So Ruth and Naomi begin their journey back home, and verse 19 says the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women explained, can this be Naomi? Imagine coming back to your hometown, not having seen her family and friends for 20 years or more. Is this our Naomi? But where is her husband? Where is her family? Where is this, who is this woman with her? A Moabite woman? And surely they... They could have seen the lines of stress all over Naomi's face. And then just let me close by saying, the third thing that helps us in time of loss is catching a new perspective of how God is providing. What does Naomi do when she sees her friends and loved ones again? She has to tell the story of her pain. She cannot move on until she's poured out her heart. It's so deep, it's so crushing that she laments her pain. You know, you, you get around people that you know and you just have to tell your story. You get around people that you're comfortable with and you don't mind releasing your pain. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. By the way, Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me Naomi or pleasant. Call me Mara. The word means bitter because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Well, she's honest. She's grieving. And she's in good company. Jeremiah, Job, Moses, David... They all lamented to God. It's not wrong to express our feelings. It's only wrong when we cross the line, when we become resentful toward God. We no longer want to trust Him. We say, we're done with you. But to be honest, to share our feelings, this is what it feels like. Sometimes it's what takes, it takes that honesty before we can actually find our joy and peace again. The text is rather subtle, but you have to know that this is huge in God's provision for Naomi and Ruth. Verse 22, so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as, as the barley harvest was just beginning. Oh, she arrives home at just the right time. 
The barley harvest was just beginning. That meant she had some entitlement to the harvest. So some of the needs for her needs for food would be met. God's provision. God provides employment at such a critical moment. Naomi was yet to discover how indeed God was going to take care of her. And the rest of, of the book is ample provision of God's goodness to her. And Ruth finds a wonderful man, Boaz, and they are married. And so God provides emotional support. And to fast forward, Ruth and Boaz have a child, and Boaz becomes the umbrella for Naomi. And he steps in to be the one that will take care of Naomi and Ruth. And that was so important in their culture. And then when Ruth has a baby, it's like Naomi has a baby. And the women of the town says, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. Now look, who was Obed? You know, he was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. And Jesus Christ came through the line of David. God provides the bigger picture. You might be in a situation today where you just don't see the bigger picture. That's very natural. In the midst of all the pain, the loss, God was still providing. God was still looking out for Naomi and for Ruth. And he was preparing the way for the Savior of the world. God's ways are always higher. We may feel devastated. There's no way we can go on. But God mysteriously, marvelously will provide. He has not forgotten you. Unstuck from our losses, may he grant you daily grace to help you in your loss. Shall we pray? And so, Lord, we hear this word today with gratefulness because we are not left alone. You walk with us and love us through all the pain and through all the stuff of this world. We sometimes feel like you've deserted us, but then we begin to see there's hope and there's light and there's provision. So teach us today to trust you and to really walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen.